Over the years, I've had the privilege of presiding over a number of graveside services for some wonderful believers. There's something very sacred about that moment. As you stand there next to a casket holding the earthly tent of this believer, and it's positioned over the grave where the, eventually the body will be lowered. And there, just a few feet away, is usually the family, the immediate family, and behind them, some of their closest friends. And then we talk about that person for just a few moments, and we commit that earthly body in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. For the believer, being absent from the body means we are present with the Lord. We can look forward to that, and we should proclaim that. And at the moment someone we love departs to be with the Lord, we can celebrate that. Oh, there's grieving, there's, there's heartache, there's disappointment. But the person is now healthy and well in the presence of the Lord. I think of a very dear friend, a sweet woman who loved the Lord and longed to be with him, who went home to be with the Lord just a few months ago. An incredibly godly woman who studied the Word of God, who loved her family and was an incredible wife to her husband who went to be with the Lord a number of years ago. And to stand by her earthly tent, committing her body to the Lord in the hope of the resurrection. It was a a sacred moment. Our loved ones, when they depart, if they've trusted in Christ as Savior, they go to be with the Lord. Now, what happens at that moment? I think Stephen is a good example in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. At the moment a believer departs, leaves the earthly tent behind, they go into the presence of the Lord. In the case of Stephen, we see that when he was literally being martyred, that the heavens opened and we could see that Jesus was standing there at the right hand of the Father, ready to greet Stephen when he entered into glory. At the great side services where I have presided, I normally read John chapter 14, the first couple of verses. These come, these words come right from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. When Jesus said, if I go, he really was talking about a future reality. He could easily have said, when I go. If I go refers to his return to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection. We know this literally happened. When he went back to heaven, we ascended to heaven. Do you remember the angels were there? And as Jesus left and went bodily, resurrected body, went back into heaven, the angels said to his disciples, this same Jesus will come again. So when Jesus said, if I go, he's talking about a future that is certain. He then says, I come again. This is a Greek construction that emphasizes this future reality. And in most uh, translations of the Bible, it will read, I will come again. And that's an accurate translation of what Jesus was saying. So Jesus is promising to return to earth in order to gather his disciples from the earth and take them back to heaven. This is in contrast to when he will return to earth with his followers to establish his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. 
This was a new revelation to his disciples. They were Jews who were looking for Jesus to be the Messiah to establish the kingdom that was promised to Israel. For the body of Christ, the church, for us, our hope is to be taken to heaven. But the hope of Israel is for the return of Jesus Christ to reign on the earth. Now there's an important question that has surfaced when it comes to this particular passage and what it's all about. The question is, could Jesus have been referring to when a believer dies? That he will come again for that believer in order to bring him to heaven. We'll have an angelic escort. But nowhere in John's gospel, nowhere in all of scripture, do we find any indication that Jesus personally comes at the moment we die to take us to heaven. We're there in an instant. Instead, he is waiting there to welcome us just as he did with Stephen back in Acts chapter 7. Notice Jesus stood ready to greet Stephen. Jesus wasn't coming to get him, but Stephen would soon be escorted into the presence of the Savior that he served so well. This so much reminds me of Mr. Ray. I had visited him in the hospital, a delightful man, loved the Lord, was an encouragement to me. When I went to visit him, he, at this point, was actually in a coma and hadn't opened his eyes in over a day. And as I looked at him, I felt compelled to invite him to depart to be with the Lord. And I went up to his bed. His wife went on one side, his daughter on the other, and some other friends at the foot of his bed. And I said, Mr. Ray, look for the angels. (laughs) Look for the angels. They'll come get you and they'll usher you into the presence of your Savior. And at that moment, when I said that, he opened up his eyes. His eyes had been closed for literally a day or more. He opened up his eyes and there was excitement in his eyes. And it was as if he was looking off kind of at a distance, kind of like wanting to, to head in that direction. And then he tried to tell us what he was seeing, but the words couldn't come out. He was along in years, but there was a lot more going on here. The words could not come out, and he kept trying. And I said, Mr. Ray, just go ahead. Go be with the one that you have served so well. Go be with the Lord Jesus. And the angels will escort you into his presence. And then literally, he closed his eyes, and he was gone. He left. But as I look back, as I think back, it's in my mind's eye that I can see this vividly. It was as if he was looking off like Stephen did. When Stephen Stephen was in the pit being stoned by those who hate our Lord. And that Stephen could look into heaven and see Jesus standing there waiting for him to arrive. And that's really what happens at the moment a believer dies. The angels escort us and we are just ever so briefly, escorted into the presence of the Lord, like there's a curtain there into eternity. This passage is referring to Jesus returning to gather his bride, the church, to join him in heaven. It's important to note that the Lord does not reference anything that needs to take place before he returns for his followers. The fact that Jesus could return at any moment for his church was the reason he said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. There's a well-known TV commentator who closes his program with the statement, let not your heart be troubled. As much as I appreciate this man's work, I doubt very much he really understands what he is saying. There are a number of parallels in Scripture. We can go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we are told that Jesus is going to come to the clouds 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. For it says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then it says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want to encourage you to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Begin at verse 13. You want to be informed. You want to know what's on the horizon. We're not all going to die, sleep, as other believers who have gone before us. Some of us may find ourselves literally being translated, our bodies being changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And so when we see this, we see the last statement that is made in light of the Lord coming to the clouds, calling the dead in Christ, the resurrected bodies to be joined with their spirit, and those of us who are alive to be translated to join them in the air to be with the Lord, to go back to heaven, to be with the Lord forever. And then it says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's a lot like John 14, isn't it? In John 14, it says, Let not your heart be troubled, right from the lips of our Lord. And then the Apostle Paul, talking about our Lord calling us to be with him in the clouds, makes a statement that when we consider that this future reality could be upon us at any moment, he says, encourage one another with these words. So we need to be encouraged by the reality that at any moment, the Lord could come to get us. And then we see that this is how the early church really lived. They were looking forward to the Lord's return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, his return, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. That's what we're doing. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ could return at any moment to gather those of us who have trusted in him as Savior. And this is to be a source of comfort for us, but it's also to be a challenge for us. For we're told in 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
when he appears, we shall be like him. It's talking about Jesus Christ in his glorified state. And that that's what's going to happen to us when we have our resurrection bodies. But notice it says, those who have this hope in him, they purify themselves just as he is pure. When this moment comes, you don't want to be doing something that in any way dishonors him. You want to be living for him, walking with him, honoring him, telling others about him. And then we can embrace his glorious return.